The world's most advanced color correction tool for Mac just got more powerful. DaVinci Resolve from Blackmagic Design. With XML import, export, multi-layered timelines, curve grading, noise reduction, stabilization, 3D alignment, OpenCL, and more. DaVinci Resolve is available from $995. Current users can download the updates for free. And try DaVinci Resolve Lite, a reduced featured version that's still packed with power. Visit www.blackmagicdesign.com. This episode is also brought to you by Screenlight.tv. Screenlight.tv is a video review and approval service for the post-production industry. Post-production teams can now easily share videos and production files with clients worldwide. Utilize their project management and team collaboration tools that include asset management, frame-accurate video feedback, proactive security, and more. All at a price that won't break your production's budget. Use the video review and approval service trusted by post professionals throughout the world. Screenlight.tv Screenlight.tv Upload anything, get feedback, and finish projects faster. What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room, I'm your host Gordon Burkell, and this week we have a double header of The Cutting Room Podcast. So, the first part is going to be an interview with Dmitry Larionov, and again, Dmitry, I'm sorry if I brutalized your name there. Um, what happened was, Dmitry and I met at the pub night in LA, and Dmitry was editing his first feature in the US. Dmitry is originally from Russia, and specifically Moscow. And so I asked him if we could sit down for a bit and talk about uh, editing in Russia versus editing in the US. Uh, And he was heading back to Russia. So when he joined us, he was pretty tired because not only was he still on US time, but he was also, it was midnight in Russia when I talked to him. So thank you, Dimitri, for joining us. And I hope you enjoy that interview. After that, if you remember, I did an interview with Control Console about a year ago maybe a bit more. And Control Console, if you haven't been using it, is an iPad-based control tool for your Adobe Premiere Pro, um, Audition, Final Cut Pro, you name it. And they've got some crazy new news that uh, we saw them at NAB and then they sent me an email this week saying, we got some news, we want to talk about it. And I said, well, let's do it on the podcast because these guys, Jeff Chow, if you remember, He's been uh, kicking ass and taking names. This guy did a Kickstarter that raised enough money to build his sort of dream product. I can't tell you how happy I am for Jeff Chow and his new co-worker, Mandy Goddow. Before we get into that, though, we got to get into this uh, editing between Russia and the U.S. And then we'll get into the control console stuff. So here's my interview with Dmitry Larinov. Can you give us a bit of background of who you are and uh, what what you've been working on and and where you are right now well i'm graduated from uh, moscow film well actually it's like moscow cinematography university back in 2006 as a film editing majoring in film editing well and since then probably i've made not probably i've made a seventh uh, films as i said like two of them were in the states and it was like my first feature film in la that last one well and in moscow i mean in russia in moscow i've uh, edited so it's, it's kind of funny like to recite my own <laughs> resume. <laughs> so I feel like <laughs> a little bit like, mm, wow, what I'm doing right now. <laughs> well, um, 
mostly I'm doing editing and training on uh, software, especially like on Avid, uh, Media Composer, on Apple products like Final Cut Pro. It used to be Final Cut Pro 6, or I started on Final Cut Pro 5 teaching it, then 6, then 7, then boom, switch to 10. Because, you know, it's funny, like, people still are interested in Apple products. I mean, they especially beginners. Well, also, I'm an Adobe trainer as well. I'm training on Premiere Pro, After Effects, Speed Grade, so all, you know, video application, video editing and color grading stuff from Adobe too. Well, so that's basically it. And, and you're in Moscow, correct? Yeah, in Moscow, yeah. So Moscow. can you give us sort of an overview of what the the Russian... In film industries like or the particularly the uh, editing community well let me see of course it's not it's hard to compare to uh, I mean the Hollywood community and Hollywood film editing everything right because it's totally different worlds but I don't know we, we, we too have uh, I mean our version of uh, Academy Awards we have I don't know film schools where we uh, uh, teaching students to um, to operate on the software and to and we want them to learn editing rules, like, you know, the classic uh, Russian editing rules and, you know, the modern Hollywood-style editing to make them more, I don't know, prepared for the nowadays experience, I'd say that one. But, I mean, comparing Russian market, it's, it's really hard to tell because I, I don't have, like, a big experience with the U.S. editing uh, market, so it's hard to compare because, well... Mm, one thing that impressed me much, very much in U.S. Uh, filming experience is the level of preparation. I mean, I never ex- ex- uh, come across such level of readiness for the shoot in my ex- own experience here in Moscow, because it was like a, I don't know, level 15. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that my director in uh, L.A. was prepared to every single scene that he was shooting, and also, the, the whole crew was working like, like a mechanism, like, like a machine that, I mean, that every single person was knowing what he's doing. And it was like really, really, um, uh, and he was performing, every single person of the crew uh, in the crew was performing his own role and he, he was performing his own single task. Like, for example, during the, that feature, shooting of the feature film, I was uh, a DT on set. So I was like a digital image technician, DIT, sorry, I was DIT. And that, that was my only uh, responsibility, being uh, a DIT. I mean, just downloading the stuff and just like labeling it, putting it uh, in the certain folders, that's it. Uh, the, well, originally it was to try to be also an uh, editing on set, but it was like, you know, the logistic problem. And what I experienced here in Moscow, it's like, I don't know why, but sometimes people trying to like, stack one task on top of the other on top of the other and put it this only on one single person and you know it's kind of sometimes at some point you're just getting uh, out of control because you're just trying to download trying to edit trying to try do some grading all at the same time and it's kind of impossible so to, to me that in terms of shooting something that was the major difference like uh, the, the job separation like on the Ford Motors <laughs> You mentioned at one point, you know, when you're when you were learning that it was you learned the traditional Russian style of editing, and then you also learned the Hollywood style. Is there sort of a definition like that, where it's like that's the Hollywood style, this is the Russian style? You know that. Um, to be honest, we 
almost in everything adopted the Hollywood style. We just don't call it Hollywood style. <laughs> we just call it editing, but it's obvious, yeah, when you compare it, it's, yeah. Well, that, that was same... my question, because I'm like, we, whenever we, we study here, we, you know, talk about montage theory, and then we say it comes from Russia, and here's how it's transitioned. But then after that, it's just editing, right? Right. So right, that's why exactly. I was wondering if there was a, you know, like, this is what it was, and... But the funny, funny thing that we are starting from the montage theory, theory and kind of upgrading it to the like modern theory. And from my experience uh, from New York, when I was studying in New York Film Academy, we were studying from American style of editing and just like mentioning that oh, here is the some techniques that was uh, that's called uh, uh, Russian montage theory, and just yeah, they are like yeah, and then they're going on to. And did they butcher the Russian names? <laughs> Whenever... Yeah, yeah, you know Eisenstein and Kuleshov, and uh, sometimes they even mentioned Pudovkin. It was like, wow, they know this, those names. Wow, that's that's interesting. <laughs> I guess uh, one of the questions I had, and I don't know if you'll be able to answer this, but it, I'd be interested in knowing how things have sort of changed from prior to the sort of end of communism to now. Sort of, I, I'm wondering. I guess, how things have changed in terms of the culture in Russia, but also in terms of the film industry, if you're able to answer that. Well, pr probably I won't, because for me it's hard to tell how things were, because I, I wasn't, I mean, I was like five years old there <laughs> at Communist Bank, so I, I definitely didn't make any movies. Yeah. <laughs> just but, you know, uh, from, my, from my teachers, I mean, just uh, learning from them, um, I could just, like, estimate that, you know, there weren't any such thing as a commercial uh, filmmaking, right? So everything was controlled by government. And, well, at, at some point it, it was probably a good idea, but at another point it was probably a bad idea, right? To have everything in controlled in government because, like, it's an enormous budget. You could have, like, any kind of money that you want, but you, you still have to, like, make a... A slightly propaganda movie, right? I'm not sure that the things are different in in, in general. Right? So. Well, it's it's interesting because I think like you know you're saying oh you'd have to make sort of propaganda films, but it's similar in terms of whoever's bringing the money to the table. Right, exactly. You That's have what to I'm saying. you yeah. have to make it um, you know the you way to, they you want. Price, yeah, you have to prize the the person who gives you. <laughs> <laughs> like, you have, I mean. He is, I mean, that, that person is really, uh, in some point, in control of how films developing, right? Because uh, if he's, like, an exam executive producer, he could just come in and say, like, you know, guys, I want that kind of, and that kind of, and that kind of changes here, and please make them, because, you know, <laughs> I've got the money, I've paid for the, for the shooting, for the editing, I've paid your salary, so, yeah, please do it. Now... How much do you guys uh, focus on, like, because I think about when I was studying film, you know, like I said, we went through Eisenstein, Podopkin, Kuleshov, uh, Vertov, but then we also started going into things like Tarkovsky and his work, uh, you know, like Andrei Rublev, and then also into, as, as you know, as most, as modern as, like, the Russian arc and things like that. So what what films are you guys studying? Are you studying most, mostly local films or are you studying international like Hollywood styles? Well, that, that's a good question and it's it definitely applies to two different filmmaking schools I might 
put this in this way. You know, there's a classic way of uh, studying filmmaking. It's uh, Moscow cinema, and it's like Russian cinema university, which I was graduated from. And now I'm teaching at Moscow Film School, which uh, adapts the classic, uh, in, like, Hollywood style of uh, teaching. Because in Mo Moscow cinema, or Russian cinema university, it was mostly only Russian filmmakers. filmmakers. And we've mentioned some filmmakers uh, from Europe, especially from early days. Of course, uh, Pasolini uh, and Fellini and Antonioni. But that's basically... That was the, like the core of the um, European filmmaking for us. Not like, oh, um, not like, for example, like Spielberg. We, we d didn't talk much about Spielberg, uh, about Lucas, about you know, uh, Coppola. Not that much. E even despite the great, great, awesome works in, in filmmaking, it was like kind of no, no of telling about uh, of speaking about this. But in uh, Nowadays, in modern uh, film school, in Moscow Film School, what I'm teaching right now, we, as I said, we, def we totally adapted the um, American uh, way of teaching, and we're starting from the American films, from all examples starting from, I don't know, from, uh, I've got in my program Avatar, uh, examples from Avatar, from, I don't know, from Godfather, from everything that I've learned in uh, New York Film Academy, as well as uh, from my uh, school program from Russian Cinema University. So I'm, we try now to combine it because it, it used to be more, you know, like Russian, strictly oriented on more Russian and European filmmaking only. So we're trying to improve. <laughs> it's interesting because I've heard that from, from other countries where I've gone, where it was like originally they were trying to really keep it to their country with a few other key, like you said, like, Fellini or something like that where it was sort of right. you couldn't not talk about them um, but all of a sudden they've sort of opened up in the last you know 20 years 25 years yeah I've heard the, uh, the same from the uh, friends probably the um, most uh, friends oriented programs there so yeah well and that's and that's just it right it's it's so uh, there's also a bit of a I guess like a language barrier because that's one of the things we've found in Canada is, um, you know, the English side of Canada is sort of taken over by the U.S. in terms of uh, product. But mm -hmm. Quebec, which speaks French, has a barrier, so it's um, it's got a very vibrant uh, film community. Mm -hmm. Based in uh, French-speaking part of Canada, right? So, not, 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 not uh, importing films from France, but, like, making their own French... Yeah, well, uh, they make their own. own... They do import from France, uh, but they make their own shows, movies. Mm -hmm. And it's this weird sort of by-itself uh, community. Wow. Now, I have um, one last question that I ask sort of everyone that I interview, and that's, uh, what's your favorite guilty pleasure film to watch? Wow, that, that's interesting. <laughs> Let's it be like um, it's not guilty pleasure. <laughs> it's just pleasure. Like <laughs> I mean, I was watching Frozen like uh, three times already. Oh, probably guilty pleasure. It's Wrecked Ralph <laughs> because okay. I watched it seven times. <laughs> Are you a big video game guy? Not really. I, it, because it's probably the story in Wrecked Ralph that okay. like touched me so much that I was like. <laughs> <laughs> So here's a small break in between uh, Dimitri's interview and control consoles. 
if you have a second, you should take a moment to check out our uh, scavenger hunt that we're doing online. Go to aotg.com hunt, and you'll see we're doing a Twitter hunt. So check that out and see what you can do. Maybe you can uh, win a few prizes. We've got some great stuff. DaVinci Resolve, AJA DTAP, uh, you name it, we got it. But without further ado, here's Jeff Chow and Mandy Godown uh, for Control Console. So, uh, so why don't we get into what's what's new with uh, Control Console? Right. Yeah. So we just put out a new build. We've had the app's been out a year now, and it's been a great year. We've had you know sales all over the world. I was looking at our country stats, and um, last I checked, it was in the fifty different countries, which is amazing to see. And uh, and so this this last release was mostly just a bug fix release. We're working on some bugs that uh, need to be worked out, but really it's it's preparing the foundation for the stuff that's to come. So we have uh, the audio mixer that is in the pipeline, and then we also have the Lightroom sorter that is also uh, getting closer in the pipeline. So really excited about those, especially because the Lightroom sorter is where I come from from a professional photography background. Uh, being able to sort photos, and I still I still do photography. Being able to sort through the thousands of photos in a more dynamic way and just sort them and mm-hmm. star and and rate them. Uh, really excited about that. How's the uh, the mixer going to work for you guys? Like, what are the plans for that? Yeah, so the mixer is a eight channel um, Mackie compatible audio mixer. So pretty much any program that can accept a Mackie. Um, except the matching protocol will work with our mixer. So, um, you know, as you know, this Gordon, but maybe your audience know, it, it's on the iPad, so what it'll allow is a, a channel, multi-touch, fully multi-touch uh, environment to control your faders. And, uh, and we even have some little really interesting ergonomic tweaks that allow us and allow the users to optimize the use of a touchscreen. So one of the things is you know, on a hardware mixer, you have to have your finger on the actual kind of fader slider thing, like the mm-hmm. physical object, um, which is hard to do on, a, on an iPad because if, you know, you have one level that's really high and one level really low, the, the spread can be awkward to do from an ergonomic standpoint. Okay. And, uh, yeah, so we, what, we, we done, what we've done is allow you to touch anywhere on the slider, so if you want to bring everything up. So I'm stopping the podcast right here for a second because... Well, you're going to notice a drastic change in the sound. And the reason is, is we were interviewing them over Skype and they were in a room that was extremely echoey and that room needed to be used for a meeting. So they had to change rooms and the new room sounded much better uh, and less echoey. So there's a drastic change here and I'm sorry if it's, it drives you nuts, but uh, it does sound much better now. So enjoy the rest of the interview. Yeah, so the, so the audio mixer, we're really excited about that. Like, it's a small ergonomic tweak, but I think from a user standpoint, it's actually going to be huge in terms of being able to adjust faders without having to have your finger on the exact um, little knob, and you'll just be able to, you know, gain all four channels simultaneously without the weird ergonomics of wherever the sliders are. Okay, um, so is that, I guess that's sort of based on your your gesture technology, sort of what you were doing with, you know, where you can swipe your fingers and. It's, it's a little bit of the gesture technology, but it's more about just identifying that it's it's just really hard if you have faders at different levels. So it's it's some of the gesture technology, but some of the traditional 
mm-hmm. user experience. Sorry, as I say, it's also gorgeous, much <laughs> like other things that we've created. But it is it is really a, a beautiful piece of. It is my favorite one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's really beautiful. Yeah. And, and um, yeah, and so so from a from a use standpoint, that you said you asked about the kind of how it works. It, yeah. So any program, so Premiere, CS six and up. Mm-hmm. Um, except a Mackie control surface. Audition obviously does. Uh, Final Cut Pro 7 also accepts a control surface. And then pretty much any of the major uh, audio programs like Logic or um, Pro Tools or anything like that will accept a control surface. Oh, wow. Fantastic. And yeah. um, what's what's the news with Adobe? Because that was what you guys had reached out to me about. Yeah. Yeah. So we're an official Adobe broadcast partner. Um, which is very exciting for us. It's it, We've been fortunate enough to have a really great relationship with them from the very beginning when they introduced or invited Jeff to come to their NAB, uh, to, the NAB to feature the, the prototype from their booth. And, and from there, it's just been a continual growth of relationships. But um, more than anything, it's, it helps to show that we have something that they they do view as a value and an asset to their their customers, and we agree. And we, we hope to continue to grow that relationship and build more relationships with with other companies that are creating amazing software. Um, and that goes beyond video editing into the whole the whole software landscape. So photo, and then three uh, D modeling, music, all kinds of areas. So we're really excited to continue to grow the relationship we have with Adobe, but also start branching out into some others. Yeah, so, and then I think we are excited, <laughs> and we're excited that we saw you at NAB this Yeah, week. that was really great <laughs> to be in person. Yeah, and then in terms of that Debbie partnership, you know what it, it has the potential for is tighter integration to a certain extent. Some of the features, some of the the biggest visions that we have require input and require the cooperation of both the companies, mm-hmm. um, where we can focus on interface. And they can focus on creating their own creative products that are amazing. And it's together that we can do some really amazing features and products that will transform the way we use the creative software and help us be more intuitive and and reduce that distance between what we're trying to create and the difficulty of actually creating it just because it's on a computer and software. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's kind of the biggest thing I'm really excited about. And so, with this uh, partnership, what do you see as the the future of uh, Control Console? So, one of them uh, is uh, is Lightroom. So, Mm -hmm. the Lightroom develop console that we have planned, it's essentially allowing us from the iPad to control the sliders uh, in Lightroom, right? And right now, the only way to do it is with a mouse or a Wacom, but anything that's you have to move your mouse to that. You have to move your cursor to that slider and move one at a time. Mm-hmm. And there's no way to move two simultaneously. There's no way to, in an in a ergonomic way, to quickly move from one to the other, right? Because it it's very precision. Every one of those uh, little touch points, the little tick that you move the slider on, those are tiny, so it requires a lot of hand-eye coordination, which slows things down. And by being a partner with Adobe, They've actually given us access to some of their SDK aspects that we can use to make that happen. Without that partnership, it, you know, it's it's definitely been much more difficult. Congratulations, guys! This is exciting. 
Thanks, Thank buddy. you. I asked Jeffrey this last time, um, but now we have two people on here, and Jeffrey probably already knows this question, but uh, what's your guys' favorite guilty pleasure film to watch? Mine's just, I mean, it's not a guilty pleasure, but I, I'm always in love with Amelie. It doesn't matter, like, what time of year it is or my mood. I could be happy. I could be sad. I watched that movie, and it, it just, on so many levels, it makes me happy. I've always <laughs> been in love with that movie. Awesome. Yeah, and, and so last time Gordon, I said Braveheart. Yeah, <laughs> but no. I, I, you know, I was thinking about it after you asked me that question, and my little movie that I'll watch whatever time of year is is Dan in Real Life. Oh, okay. sure why, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank thank you guys for joining me again. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Gordon. And again, congratulations on everything. Eh? So that was my interview with uh, Jeff and Mandy. Again, thanks for joining us for this doubleheader. So, again, if you haven't had a chance, check out uh, the AOTG.com slash hunt and join our scavenger hunt. Got lots of people playing along. Uh, and with that said, I'd like to thank Andre for cutting this episode for us. It was a bit of a challenge. We were sort of throwing things around. We were experimenting with a new tool called VT Sync, which I definitely suggest you check out. Uh, because it has saved us a shit ton of time, guys. Uh, anyways, thanks to Andre. A lot of hard work this week. He also got his AJA review up, which you'll see probably on Tuesday. And thanks to Jeff Chow, Mandy Godown, and Dmitry Larinov. I'm Gordon Burkell. Thanks for listening. <laughs>